the other part of it is I think that it's easier to get good faster because you focus on a specific industry and how they operate and why they operate the way that they operate. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for this show. Well, today we have a guest that's going to talk to us a little bit about the benefits of having a niche if you decide or when you decide to go out on your own and provide accounting services through your own business. Chris Hervishan is joining us from the Hilton Head area in South Carolina. He's had his practice for coming up on three years now, and he's already developed quite a niche business, specifically in the marketing and creative space, or more specifically, providing accounting services for that industry. An unexpected bonus, though, is that we also talk about his short stint giving it a shot being a professional golfer early in his career. It's harder than you may think, and he eventually decided to hang up his professional clubs, so to speak, and go back to his original chosen field, accounting. It's a rather interesting part of the show, though, so if you're listening just for pure entertainment or if you listen to the show for more of an education, either way, you're definitely going to enjoy this one. This really was a good interview. And if you do enjoy and learn something from this episode, You can learn more about us by visiting my author page on Amazon. I've got a couple books out there. All you have to do is go to Amazon and search for Mark Goldman, and all three will pop up. Like I said, we've got three out there, and really they apply to accounting professionals as well as employers for accounting professionals. So we can help you really no matter which side of the desk that you're sitting on. And as always, if there's anything that I can do for you personally in your own career or for any accounting organizations you may be involved in, please reach out to me as well. I'm happy to help in any way I can. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started. This really was an interesting interview. Here's Chris Hervishan. Well, hello, Chris. Welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. Thanks for having me on. No problem. No problem. Well, For the audience, we have Chris Hervishan, a CPA in South Carolina, joining us for the show today. And I want to ask Chris on the show because when I first heard about him, two specific items got my attention. He was a professional golfer for a while. And while I know many accountants like golf, you know, most are not professional, of course. But the main reason I wanted to have him on the program was his niche for his practice. He's had his firm for a couple years, and he's already formed a niche. We're going to cover his overall journey, of course, but we definitely are going to spend some time talking about that niche. It's so important for building a firm, or at least it works for so many once they commit to it. So I thought this would be a really good discussion to have. We've had other niche practice owners on the show before, but it's been quite a while. So this is going to be a really good conversation. Well, Chris, before we do get to the present time, let's make sure we cover your overall journey. What led you to decide to consider accounting as a possible career choice in the first place? That's a good question because my journey in accounting didn't really start off all that great. I took accounting in high school, my senior year. Did not go well. It was more bookkeeping than accounting, really. And 
you know, everything was done by hand and I just wasn't getting it. It just was not fun. But my dad was an accountant. So he took an interest in me being in that class. And it was one of those situations where you, you drop it before they make you drop it. So it didn't really work out all that great for me in high school, which is kind of odd considering that, you know, where I am now. But went to college with the idea that I was going to be a finance major because I wanted to be an investment banker. And come to find out, I had no idea really what investment banking was. I yeah, It sounded cool. I heard it somewhere, obviously. And that's why I wanted to get into finance. I liked money, but I knew that I didn't necessarily like accounting at that point. And so finance just kind of seemed like an alternative path, so to speak. But had to take accounting one my freshman year and had a really great professor. And she was awesome. And she really kind of closed the gaps on the accounting stuff that really just kind of went over my head in high school, frankly. And so she was great. I did really well in the class, got an A. And my dad said to me, you know, you can do everything in finance that you want with an accounting degree, but the opposite is not necessarily true. So maybe you ought to think about switching your major to accounting, which I did. And the rest is kind of history there. I went through college, got my degree, and it was great. And I've loved it ever since. But, you know, certainly the first introduction was a little bit rough. That is interesting because we've had other people on the show that took the high school accounting. And you're right, it really is a bookkeeping course. I mean, shoot, it's probably been at least a fourth, maybe a third of the the guests. But most of them talk about how that launched them into accounting, not not, not the opposite, mm-hmm. you know, that it, it kicked exactly. you back out temporarily. So that is interesting. That is interesting. So I figured we should hit on this early in the show. Does the golfing come in? Because I, I remember <laughs> hearing about that. And you went straight into talking about your major. So I actually thought it might be before that. Where does that come in? It's a good question. My grandmother got me started in golf when I was, gosh, like, I don't know, 10 or 11. And it just so happened that that was right before the whole Tiger Woods thing, you know, before Tiger Woods turned pro and that explosion in golf that happened in the mid to late 90s. So the timing is, is kind of interesting there. But certainly when I got started, like my friends were playing baseball and basketball and football and everything basically but golf. So I didn't really have any friends to play golf with for a period of time there. But then Tiger Woods came out, turned pro, golf got more popular, got more cool. And all of a sudden, my friends were taking interest in it. So you know, I had people to play with. And it was just one of those things I just got better and better. Played high school golf. And when I was in high school, I knew that I wanted to play in college and I thought that I wanted to play division one golf. And there's only at that time, anyway, a handful of division one schools that had open tryouts because I certainly wasn't recruited in any meaningful way. I just wasn't, I just wasn't good enough for that. Didn't have the resume for it. So that's how I ended up at Elon, which was a division one school, which also had open tryouts for everybody every single year at that time anyway. So it didn't matter if you were on scholarship or not. If you didn't make the team, you didn't make the team. So it was a great opportunity. That's how I ended up at Elon. I didn't make the team my first year. I did make the team my second year as a sophomore. I played okay. Played in a couple of tournaments. I played okay. I didn't play great. And then my junior year, I didn't make the team, but I did get redshirted. And then my sophomore year, I didn't make the team. So when I graduated college, I was a good player, but not by college golf division one standards and certainly not by professional standards at all. And so when I graduated college, I wanted to be a golfer. I wanted to work in the golf industry. I wanted to try to play and make money at it and teach. And that was an interesting conversation I had with my parents when spring semester of senior year, when I said, hey, I I don't necessarily want to go use this degree that we just paid a lot of money for. I want to go and and be a golf pro. And they were very supportive. And they said, well, go give it a try. And you'll know if it doesn't work out, basically, is what they said. And that's what I did. So that's how I got started in golf. 
my grandmother started me and that's what I did after I left college and certainly didn't do it for very long, which is why I'm an accountant now and didn't do it very well. Didn't make fun of money at it, obviously, which is also how I got to where I am now, but I wouldn't have traded that experience for anything in the world because it's a very entrepreneurial experience and you learn a lot because if you hit a good shot, if you hit a bad shot, I mean, it's on you. It's it's not on anybody else. And if you hit a bad shot, I mean, maybe you probably just should have worked harder at it before the tournament, right? You know, that sort of thing. Interesting. Okay. I could tell there weren't a whole lot of cash prizes in this story. <laughs> Just by the way, it was Not, going. No, there weren't a ton. I mean, I did win a very small like winter league event one time and I, I was medalist at my PGA card playing ability test. I did play well there, but those were certainly the highlights and they were few, I promise. Okay. Okay. Well, before we move on out of this part, I'm just curious. First of all, I will tell you, I know virtually nothing about golf, but what are some of the, I guess, harsh truths or items that people that just watch it on TV, (laughs) you know, don't realize about the professional golfing world? Any lessons you learned once you got in it that you thought, oh, okay, well, this is different. Yeah, it's an interesting question. It's a very entrepreneurial endeavor for sure. It's, I mean, it's very much a bootstrap thing, unless you're a really great amateur player, college player, and you come out and you've got a lot of large endorsements right away and sponsors exemptions in the big tournaments and things like that. I mean, that's not the vast majority of kids coming out of school or coming out of amateur golf for sure. But unless you have that, I mean, it's really hard. There's not a lot of money in the smaller circuits. It's costs a lot of money to travel. When you're traveling, you're not practicing, usually driving from tournament to tournament, which means that you're not practicing, which means that you're not working out. It means you're not getting better. You're spending that time. So, I mean, it's just difficult. It's expensive. And the more expensive it gets, the better you've got to play. So it's a lot of pressure all the time. But apart from that, I think it's difficult to imagine just watching on TV exactly how good those guys are, the guys who are at the top of their game and who are tops in the world. Those are the people that you're seeing on TV every week. You're not seeing the guys who are struggling. But just exactly how good those guys are is it's insane, really. I mean, the quality of golf is really, really high, especially in the post-Tiger era, I would say. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Something else that intrigued me about your background is maybe I'm getting some of this out of line, but it it looks like you went and did the golf thing for a couple of years and then came back into the accounting world straight into forensic accounting. And that's okay. That's a hot topic these days or an area of interest. It intrigued me that you got an opportunity so early in your career to work in forensic accounting. So how did that come about? How did you re-enter the accounting workforce and <laughs> in such a position? Yeah, it was one of those things. It was time to get out of golf for sure. And the firm that I went to work for found them, I think it was like monster.com or something. It was either that or career builder back in the day. And just applied for the job, got lucky enough to get an interview. Interview went well. I had no accounting experience at, at the time, but the partner was a golfer and really liked golf. And so when it was his turn to come into the interview process, he asked me a bunch of questions about golf, asked me nothing about accounting. He basically said, you're hired like right on the spot. And I just got lucky in that regard. I mean, I guess you know, your prior question, like what's one of the things that you don't realize about golf? Golf does open a lot of doors because a lot of people play it and a lot of people are interested by it. And it does open doors. And that's actually one of those things where I would say that that probably opened the door for me. And it was a great experience that I had there and, and certainly a great way to learn. And just, you know, very fortunate. The professor that I had in my auditing class my senior year of college, he was a forensic accountant and he talked about it a lot. And he really piqued my interest back in college. So to, you know, to get that opportunity right out of the gate was a lot of fun and definitely something that I'm grateful for. 
Okay. I was curious how you enjoyed the actual work because that is an area of a lot of people seem to be interested in, and then there's more opportunities in it than there used to be, but Mm -hmm. it's still an area of of limited opportunity, you know, to get in at least compared to some of the other accounting areas. Did you enjoy the work? Did you like it? I did. I did. What we specialized in was auditing insurance claims, so fires, floods, hurricanes, stuff like that on the business interruption side and also on the property damage side. So we were pretty niche, but I got to see a lot of different industries, worked on some casino claims, worked on hotels, apartment complexes, a lot of stuff after hurricanes. That was the period of time where we had a pretty active Gulf series of hurricanes there. I mean, it was when I got in, it was the tail end of cleaning up Katrina claims. We had Hurricane Gustav and Ike that came through. And so I spent a good bit of time in Louisiana for a while there looking at apartment complex claims that we had and then when I finished up, we had a large shopping mall up in Pennsylvania that had a pretty serious flood. You know, one of those, I think it was like a 300-year storm or something like that, something crazy. And spent a lot of time just on those types of claims. It was certainly very niched and it just really different work. I mean, we weren't doing the same thing every single day. Every single client, every single case or file that we worked on was different. So it's just a really good experience and got to see a lot of different things, which is, I think, challenging when you're first getting into accounting. The tendency is to see a lot of the same. That certainly was not the experience that I had. That's true. That's true. That's interesting. We just recorded a show. It's not out yet. But well, by the time yours comes out, it'll be out because we just <laughs> recorded it. But <laughs> but it was on the topic of small firms. And that's one of the items we, we discussed is how the, one of the attractions is that generally you get a larger variety of experience across industries. Absolutely. Like so, yeah, it's an interesting point. Absolutely. Well, take us forward from there. I know you had some experience in banking, healthcare, maybe some other areas. I do want to get to your firm now, but I figured there may be some milestones or some learning opportunities that you had you know, in the middle years. So take us through those middle years in your career and I guess what some of the better experiences were. Sure. So I went straight from forensic accounting to banking and for a very large bank in Wilmington is where the position was based. I'm actually originally from New Jersey, so just kind of shifted my commute south, not necessarily shorter or longer, just a different direction. That's where I got experience in corporate accounting and actually doing the books and preparing financial statements and what good looks like. I mean, everything there was just so buttoned up and worked with a lot of really, really talented accountants and learned just an absolute ton. So that's when you, I think one of the important things that I've learned in my career is just knowing what good looks like. And it's just really good luck when you get to see what really, really good looks like. I mean, we were during my tenure there, we pushed to become the first S&P 500 company to report earnings. We wanted to report before Alco and just having that experience of, well, we need to close it in two days and it's got to be faster and we got to get the reporting turned around. I think it was in seven days for such a large organization, just really remarkable and just a really great experience. And I got my CPA while I was there. I finished my exams like the same month that I left forensic to go into, to go over to the bank. And then I got certified, I think it was like three or four months later. So that happened. That was at the beginning of my tenure there. But the other big thing that happened was our first child was born, my son, and my wife is from Atlanta. I'm from New Jersey. We were quite a ways away from her family. And my wife really, really, really dislikes cold weather, absolutely hates it. And so (laughs) we had two really bad winters in that stretch of time. And my son was turning one and she, she looked at me one day. She's like, we gotta, we gotta do something different. We gotta move. We talked about it for a long time, but we decided we wanted to move South. 
So started looking for a position in the Charleston Hilton Head area. We got married in Charleston. We love Charleston. We vacationed at Hilton Head. We love Hilton Head and started looking for a position between the two. And the first opportunity that I got was in Bluffton, which is right outside of Hilton Head. And a mid-sized healthcare company that was very much going through, I would say, accounting growing pains, just learning how to get processes in place. And so when I got that job and when we moved down here, it was definitely a culture shock just the move itself, <laughs> for sure, as any big move like that is. I was away from my family and she was also away from her family because they're from Atlanta. We're closer, but not terribly close. So there's that and just being in a new place where you don't know a lot of people. And so the whole thing was a culture shock. But it was also a culture shock from an accounting perspective where everything at the bank was just so buttoned up and very automated, a lot of process, a lot of procedure. That was not the case at the new role and worked there over the next three, four years, I suppose it was. Went through a lot of change. We went through three or four, I think, acquisitions and we're growing gangbusters and going through that process of putting processes in place and getting things to what good looks like, or at least closer to what good should be. And got a chance to move from accounting to finance and product finance. That was a lot of fun too. So that's pretty much the 30,000 foot view of my experience in that role and my experience in kind of the middle part of my career before I went out on my own, which is where I am now. Okay. I'm curious, did that experience of moving to the midsize company where things weren't quite as perfect. <laughs> Did that start to give you some insight on maybe the need in the marketplace or anything that caused you to, anything that benefited you in working with the clients you work with now? That's a great question. And I don't know that I've thought about it quite that way. I would say that it was my second day on that job, my boss gave me a, like, he had gotten me access to like all the shared folders and all the shared drives and stuff like that. He said, just basically his instruction was go poke around. So I started poking around. I looked at some of the reconciliations and knowing just what the reconciliation process was at the bank and how everything was substantiated and reviewed and very, very clean manual, but clean. Um, and I remember very specifically, like we had, a, we had a hard couple of days. We had a, we had a really hard move. And like I said, it was a culture shock and that's a different story. We can get into it if you want, cause it's something else. And we'd had a hard couple of days and he said, poke around. And so I started opening up these reconciliations and I was like, holy Toledo. And I actually had heart palpitations just from the state that, that they were kind of in at the time. Just something that we worked hard on over the following couple of years and, you know, got to a good point. But I just remember seeing that and thinking, holy cow, but that specifically is not kind of what pushed me to go out on my own. It was more when I got into product finance and well, I guess probably the latter end of my stint in the accounting department where I was very heavy into automation. I was basically the automation guy writing my own macros because that's really all I had access to as far as automating. And that's right around the time when Power Query came out and we were able to automate a lot of the stuff that we were doing in Great Plains with Power Query and, and macros. And that was a lot of fun learning to build automation and you know, just taking my skill set to a different level in that regard. But then when I went into product finance and started really digging into forecasting and budgeting and building out those processes, because we started with nothing. I mean, I, me and my boss, we basically built that from the ground up and automating that process as well. You know, I remember very distinctly at the tail end of my tenure there thinking, this is the kind of thing that I think would be beneficial to smaller businesses. If we were, if I was able to take this skill set and automate forecasting and automate accounting and apply it to smaller businesses so that they had good, clean numbers to work with, that seems like there would be a value add there. So that was kind of the thought process that I went through in my head that really kind of pushed me out the door in just thinking that I could deliver that sort of value to, to other businesses, other smaller businesses. Okay. I'm curious, when you did decide to start your company, did you just quit your job cold turkey and go look for customers? Or 
<laughs> Take us through that time period, I guess. What was the decision-making process like, and what was it like getting started? Yeah, no, it was a really long process, a long, long process. I actually, right after I got my CPA, so this is probably, this is almost 11 years ago now, right after that, I started a basically a side business, side hustle, and bookkeeping and tax work, family and friends started out very, very small. I did that very, very small for, I don't know, six, seven years hmm. and just on the side. Yep. And that's actually, I mean, that's the business that I have today. There's six, seven years of just really small stuff. And then started working with another CPA firm to do some outsourced stuff, outsourced controller type work and did that for a couple of years, as well as had my kind of tax business on the side. The firm that I was working for is very, very automated, a lot of custom automation, you know, not stuff certainly that you buy on the shelf. The CPA who owns the firm is very good at writing code and got to see what good looks like there too, but from a smaller perspective, certainly than what I saw at the bank. And over this period of time, my tax practice just continued to grow. So I had a base there, but when I went on my own, I basically just had some tax clients. I mean, a handful of tax clients really is what it turns out or what it amounted to. And you know, it was a big leap of faith, just realizing that I had a skill set and a thought as to a service that I could deliver and trying to figure out how to market that and grow that and sell it to other small businesses. It was a long process. I got myself a coach there at the end in the last six months who kind of helped me put the things in place um, before I made that leap. But it was a long process. It wasn't certainly was not a overnight thing by any stretch of the imagination. Interesting. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was long planned or just all of a sudden happened. So that's obviously that's the better way to go. <laughs> the, long, yeah. the, the more drawn out process. Yeah, it was, it was a long process with a quick resolution. And I mentioned like I spent like six months with a coach, like really in earnest, putting together a plan to, to leave my job and go out on my own. But really what kind of pushed me was I was at the AICPA Engage conference. This is, I guess, going back three, four years now and got to talk to a couple other firm owners who are my age, younger. And basically the gist of what they said was, you'll be okay. You'll be fine. You'll figure it out. It can be done. Like seeing that they had been successful and they're my age and it'll be okay. Like just seeing them and talking to them was what made me realize like, okay, I'm just dragging my feet now. It's, it's time to rip the bandaid off. So I actually texted my wife from the casino floor that night. And I said, when I get back, time to quit and got home from the conference. And she looked at me, she said, you seem like you're serious. I said, yep. She said, okay. And basically walked in my boss's office the next day and quit. Gave notice, obviously, but, <laughs> but that was the final push out the door. Just being able to talk to other younger firm owners and seeing that it can be done and likely to be successful. That's that was the final push. Okay. And that's been, what, about two and a half years? About two and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. So this will be my third year on my own. Okay. Wonderful. Well, tell us about your firm now. What specific types of clients do you service? What kind of work do you like? Do you have any help? <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I've got help now. So I hired my first employee when I was a little over a year in. So she's been with me for about a year and a half. We just hired second employee over this past summer. So she's been with us about six months. So we are a team of three now. It's working out really great. And let's see, from a service perspective, 
business and personal taxes, obviously tax planning, but then also really our sweet spot is virtual CFO services for marketing and creative agencies. That's really what we're focused on. That's what we like to do. And that's really where a lot of our marketing effort is focused. Right now, we're about, from an outsourced accounting virtual CFO perspective, we're about 60% in the marketing and creative agency space. We're about 35% in the trades and then 5% other, other type clients. So we've got kind of two niches, but one that we're really focused on and one that's certainly outpacing the others as far as growth is concerned. So how did you pick marketing and creative agencies or how did it pick you? That's an interesting choice. I'm curious how that developed. Mm -hmm. It really kind of picked me. I knew going in that I needed to find a niche and wanted to find a niche and I understood all the benefits of a niche and all that sort of stuff. And one of the things I thought about was golf courses because we are located in Hilton Head. We do have a number of golf courses. I do have experience in the golf business, but it just, for whatever reason, it, I mean, that was a fleeting thought and never really took hold. But I mentioned I'd done some work for another CPA firm. One of the clients that I worked on for them was a marketing agency and I liked the work. And one of our first clients after I went out on my own was a marketing agency. And when I met with them, it just became like very, very clear these are the kind of folks who I want to work with. And this is the type of business that fits really, really well with what my skill set is, which is heavy automation, service-based business. We're not having to worry about inventory. It's one of those things that I try to stay away from. It's just a really good fit from a personality perspective. We like to practice what I call creative accounting without actually being creative. Like we're certainly not creative with the numbers. We're just creative in how we deliver the services. And it just makes a lot of sense. We seem to understand each other. Those personality types, they fit. And really just one of those things that kind of fell out of the sky and smacks you in the face and you realize, well, this is what I should be doing. So that's really where the the focus came from. Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. I just, of of all niches to pick, you can pick anything. So it's interesting. And obviously you have a gift for it. So I figured you must relate to the clients well. There's something about the marketing and creative space that, yeah, just seems natural to you or or something along those Mm -hmm. lines. That makes sense. The other part of that is I love marketing and I always have. I was in some like business groups and competitive business groups. Like one was called back in high school and really did well in that. And it had like a marketing focus. Like we used to do like business competitions basically and was focused on marketing in that. Certainly when I went out on my own, I had to figure out how to do the marketing because I, you know, didn't have anybody to outsource it to and had to bring in work. And really, in that regard, didn't really know what I was doing. So I had to learn. And I spent a lot of time learning how to do marketing and do it well and knowing what good looks like. And I've always loved it, you know, like I said. But then that combined with the creatives of the type of people that I like hanging out with that I can relate to and realizing that their services and what they deliver and what their skill set is just molds really nicely with what we're able to deliver and what we do and how we do it. So they go well together, I think. So when people are starting their firm, a lot of times there's a feeling that I just, I need need to pay the bills. I need to take whatever work I can get. I I understand that, (laughs) you know, that's natural, but Mm -hmm. you have worked into this niche early or compared to a lot of people. I'm curious, what do you feel specifically are the benefits of doing that or what benefits have you seen? in your own business of trying to focus more of your efforts on that particular niche. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. I understand the take what you can get when you can get it mentality, especially when you're first starting, because like my kids have to eat. So Mm -hmm. I certainly did some of that and have done some of that the first couple of years. 
doing a lot less of that now. I've gotten to the point now where we can actually turn down things that aren't a good fit, which is a very liberating feeling for sure. Now, that said, the benefits of niching, number one, it's easier to have conversations with potential clients because you can demonstrate that you understand their business and communicating your value is a lot easier. It's hard to charge high prices for accounting or saying, well, we'll do your books on a cruel basis when the person on the other end doesn't really care and thinks that you're just a journalist anyway. And you know, how does that apply to my business? That sort of thing. So being able to communicate value and having the confidence on the other end of who you're communicating to that this person knows what they're talking about and because they know my business and they know my industry. That's part of it. The other part of it is I think that it's easier to get good faster because you focus on a specific industry and how they operate and why they operate the way that they operate. And you're talking to the same types of businesses all the time. So you know what the problems are and you know what the solutions are and you know what works and you don't, you know, it doesn't work. And you're from our perspective, we ingest a lot of content. We do a lot of learning. Learning is one of our three core cultural pillars. And so we spend a lot of time learning. And a lot of the learning that we do is very specific to agencies and how they operate and how marketing works and what marketing is and those sorts of things. So we spend a lot of time on it. And I think it just makes it easier to get good faster. Like if we had to do that same exact exercise for 10 different industries, it's hard to master or jack of all trades, right? Like master of none or however that phrase goes, it's hard to get good at 20 different things. It's much easier to get good at one. Mm. That's a good point. I like the way you put it, too. They're very simple. It's easy to get good faster. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Exactly. And the better you get, the higher the fees you can charge and the more efficiently you can do the work and all that stuff. There's that cascading effect of being really good at, at one thing. That makes a lot of sense. You become more efficient and at the same time, you're becoming more valuable, too. So that justifies it. Sure. Exactly. I'm curious. What have you learned about having your own firm that maybe you didn't realize prior to starting it? And I guess what I mean by starting it is going full-time. There been any surprises along the way that you thought, oh, this is better than I thought, or, oh, I didn't think about this challenge? (laughs) Anything that caught you by surprise? One of the good surprises has been hiring in my team. When I first went out on my own, I figured, all right, I'm going to have a dozen clients. I'm going to charge really high fees and I'll be able to do a dozen clients on my own and it'll be a great lifestyle practice and I'll make a bunch of money and it'll be okay. That's harder than it sounds as it turns out. At least that's been my experience. So I was a little bit naive in that regard. I had that other experience working for other firms and seeing what they were able to charge. And what I realized was being able to communicate value and sell that is a whole other thing than actually, it's just a whole other thing. It's, it's hard to learn how to do that. So that's been the challenge, I think, is just communicating value and how hard it is to communicate value of something that's as dry generally as accounting and finance to creatives, marketers and creatives. That's been the challenge. But related to that has been the need to hire folks and get help. And certainly I've hired two full-time folks and they've been absolutely great. What you hear a lot from business owners and other firm owners is that getting talent and managing talent is hard and it's hard to find the right people and it's expensive and yada, yada, yada. But I've just gotten really lucky to find so far two really great people who filled out the team and we've got a great culture. 
We've got a great environment. We work well together. They're very, very smart, <laughs> our clients. And sometimes I think that they certainly like them a lot more than they like me. <laughs> you know, they'd rather talk to them, but it's just a testament to how good they are at what they do and just how solid of, of human beings they are. Well, we end every show with the same three questions, and we probably better get to those in a second. But one last question before we do. When you think about the future, the proverbial four or five years out, right? If we were to do another podcast episode, where would you hope to be at that point? What does success look like for you? Well, I guess probably the nerdy accounting answer is our current plan is that we're going to double in size, probably both from a revenue perspective and from a team size perspective. So if we can continue to grow and have the just an extension of the experience that we're having, that would be a win. And I would just say on a less nerdy accounting side, if we can just continue to get better at what we do, I think we will be one of, if not the industry leader in, in the niche that we've picked, so long as we do the things that we need to do. Our culture is compassion and learning and innovation. And if we continue to do those three things really, really well, and if it compounds over several years, I think we're going to be in a pretty good spot. But just getting better at what we do is really the, the nuts and bolts of our strategy. Yeah, that makes sense. Just providing good, valuable service. Sure. Exactly. Exactly. At the end of the day, I mean, it's all about the clients. From my perspective as the firm leader, it's it's all about my employees and it's all about my clients. But if we just button up and continue to tighten up what we currently do, and if we're just continuing to get better, like things will take care of themselves. We'll be okay. But the plan from the nerdy, hey, you, you know, you're an accountant, you've got to have a spreadsheet perspective is we're going to probably or we hope to anyway, double in size from a revenue and from a team perspective. Perfect. Okay. Wonderful. Well, I do end every show with the same three questions. So let's go ahead and get to those. The first one is usually the easier one. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? Proudest moment for sure was passing the CPA exam. I'm not so sure that anything can top that from a career perspective for a CPA. A very close second was when I actually quit my last job. Wow. Okay. Because it was, okay. Yeah, oh, it was just such a big move. Sure. That makes sense. You know, I wasn't going to ask you about this, but since you mentioned it now, when you took the exam, you were obviously taking it a few years after college because you had golfed a couple years, you were in forensic accounting, and then you did it later. Mm-hmm. Was it difficult for you at that point, or did you still pretty much retain most of the knowledge, or did you have a secret review course you took? or? <laughs> No, no, it was hard. And I passed it like on my last try before I was going to get or start to lose credits for the first exam. I got married in the middle of that whole exam period. So I think the order was I passed two. I took a bunch of time off, got married, did the honeymoon, the wedding planning, you know, all that sort of stuff. And just kind of checked out of life there for, for a little while. And then as soon as we got married, I got back from the honeymoon, started studying again. You know, that whole process, and that was back in the time when you could only, the exam window was like two months on, one month off, that whole thing. Mm. And so, yeah, I just kind of ran out of time. So I got real lucky because I was on my my last exam. I really had to pass it. And I just remember getting that score like 7.30 in the morning before I was leaving for work. I was home by myself. I was just so excited. It was just the best feeling in the, in the whole entire world. So, that makes sense. yeah, I mean, it was hard. It was hard. It was a lot of long hours. And it was a lot of long months. And my wife was certainly glad to see that period of our life be over for sure. <laughs> okay. I was going to ask you earlier, and I usually don't ask this late in the show, but I was curious because I always tell people, take it as soon as possible <laughs> because it does seem to get harder. So 
Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. If you can take it, like, the minute you graduate college, you'll be much better off for it. There you go. Well, second item in the last series here, tell us about a lesson that you learned the hard way. And the more you can tell us about the situation, the better, because that's how everybody really learns from these. Yeah, that's a good question, too. What I've learned just operating the firm over the last couple of years is that you don't have to have a fully baked solution right out of the gate all the time for everything. It's almost to some extent like it's okay to build a plane as you fly it a little bit. And here's the reason why I say that. Like I said, we're very technology focused, very automation focused. And you know, there's been a, several instances where we've gone and purchased something for our tech stack and ended up not using it or not using it in the way that we thought we would. Or I'm certainly guilty of this, purchased a software package. I didn't necessarily even have a client for it at the time, but I figured, well, if I if I take this and I implement it in a demo sort of way, I'll be able to it'll make my sales process easier, that sort of thing. That's been a mistake generally the last couple of years. It doesn't have to be fully baked. You just have to have the minimum viable service approach to it generally is okay. And then once you've got something that you're comfortable with that you can sell, it doesn't have to have all the bells and whistles. You can add the bells and whistles later, right? You can always go back to an existing client and say, hey, we're adding this capability. Would you like to give it a try or try to sell it to them or whatever? You can always go that route. That's probably one of the biggest mistakes I've made in in running the firm. Yeah, and just not vetting particular software. I say this to this day, and partially because it's such a fresh memory, but when I first started, it was just me. And I purchased a Microsoft Office 365 subscription through my web hosting provider. It will remain nameless. I learned the hard way that it was not the full Microsoft Office 365. And it was one of those things I let it fester for a couple of years and just kind of, you know, status quo. If it's not totally broken, don't fix it, that sort of thing. But as we've grown and as it's become apparent to me that I've got to be able to manage the business and the technology infrastructure in a certain way that we had to do a migration. And that migration was really, really painful, but it it stemmed from just not having a good enough understanding and not doing enough vetting on the front end of tech stack. That was a very long winded way to, to answer the question, but hopefully that kind of makes sense. Wonderful. Yes. <laughs> when I started my company, I got a little office in executive suites organization. So they did mm-hmm. subdivided the floor of a building, right? And I got my phone line through them. And I just I wasn't paying attention to the details. And so here I go, I'm building this business and I build it to the extent that I need more space and I've got to move out. And then everyone I had given that phone number to, that the phone number was no longer going to belong to me. So here I am yep. building the brand around it and I can't take the phone number with me. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Um, Exactly. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. I made a few of those. It's a little detail, but it's so important. It's so, so important. So to kind of just put a bow around all that, I mean, it's two things. Number one, just make sure you pay attention to the details, especially around software and what you own and what you don't own. And then number two, just realize that minimum viable services is fine to get started. And then you can add the bells and whistles later because if everything has to be perfect and fully baked before you even get started, like you're just never going to get started. Very true. Yeah, you're going to adjust anyway, so <laughs> yeah, better to get Exactly. Out. Well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What's the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Best piece of advice I ever received was know when you go broke. And I'll put some context around that, but I told the story of when I was a senior in college and I wanted to go be a professional golfer, and I had that conversation with my parents. What my dad said was, go ahead, we will support you. 
I'm not going to finance it. <laughs> Rightfully so. He just paid for college, but you'll know when you go broke. And that was kind of his way of saying like, you know, you'll know if you can make it or not, and you'll know when you need to go do something else. And that was just a really great piece of advice because, you know, like I said, the golf world is a very entrepreneurial type of endeavor. And certainly what I'm doing now is a very entrepreneurial type endeavor. And so having kind of that entrepreneurial experience, even though it's in a totally different context and a totally different world is really important because you kind of figure out like how to be successful and what works and what doesn't work, what you can do and what you can't do. And just having that experience, like it's okay to fail. Like the worst thing that happens for me right now is like the firm goes out of business and I go get a job. Like it'll be okay. That's, that's the worst that happens. Certainly that was the thinking when I started. Now, I mean, I've got people who work for me and things like that, but we're also a lot more stable than, than we were three years ago. But worst that happens if you take a shot at something is you fail and you just go back to what you were doing and it'll probably be okay anyway, right? So that's one way, I think, to just kind of get over that fear of getting started. But that was certainly, it was just great advice that he gave me. And that was, what, 15 years ago, and I'm still, still talking about it today. So clearly it resonated. Definitely. Wow. Yeah. So you'll know if, when you go broke, but... If you wouldn't have done it, you wouldn't have known. You'd be sitting here today thinking, I wonder what if. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then the older I get, I mean, in another 10 years, I'd be telling everybody that I probably would have been the next Tiger Woods had I just given it a shot, right? Which is totally not true. Absolutely not true. But it's one of those things, the older you get, the better you were. And I'd be telling my kids like, well, I probably could have done that, but I never gave it a shot. Like, that's awful. At least I gave it a shot and I had the experience. I can tell them like, it didn't work and that's okay. You know, look where we are now. Everything's fine. But without the experience, you can't tell the story. And, and certainly you have to live with that regret forever, which is even worse. Yes. Yes. Well, this has been a wonderful interview. Thank you so much for taking the time out for it. If people want to find out more about you or your firm, maybe they have a friend in the marketing space that they could use your services. Where's the best place online to look for information? Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. Best way to get in touch with us, betterwaycpa.com. That's uh, the website. Absolutely best place. We've got a whole bunch of you know, free resources, content on there for anybody who is in the marketing creative space. We're trying to just build it out to just be a really great resource for, for folks who are running businesses and particularly in that industry. So that's the best place to get a hold of us, betterwaycpa.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, Chris. I really appreciate your time. This has been wonderful. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. I enjoyed it as well. Well, that was my interview with Chris Hervishon. And like I mentioned in the intro, there really were a few different facets to this story. I didn't want to focus too much on the golfing, but obviously we had to touch on that because it, it's a rather interesting thing. I do think he's the first guest we've had that played golf professionally for any period of time, for that matter, at least on this show. However, I really did enjoy the conversation about developing a niche and the advantages of it. I'm a big believer in business of developing a niche. And I realized that when you first get out there in your own business, you have to do whatever it takes to get the business that you need to be able to pay the bills. But the quicker you can get down to what you truly enjoy, what you're passionate about, and what you're gifted in, and develop that into a niche, the better off you'll be. I know it's worked well for me, and I've seen it work so well for so many accountants. I really do believe in that, that method of doing business, if you will. 
Well, this has been another episode of Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. And I know I say this a lot, but if there's anything I can do for you personally in your own career, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm very findable on LinkedIn. All you have to do is search for Mark Goldman CPA and I'll pop right up. Well, thank you again for joining us. We will see you all next week. There's more to come.